right, welcome everyone to episode 85 of Bumper Sticker Faith. I'm Sam here, and uh, I am joined by Mike Stanzik. And Mike is going to be my co-host, um, trying to fill Lewis's uh, shoes this morning, although Lewis is actually nearby me right now. Um, <laughs> and um, he's, he's doing great, doing well. I had someone asking about Lewis uh, last night. He's doing great, uh, but just taking some time off. So thankful for Mike Stanzik. Mike is a pastor of Libertyville Community, no, Trinity Community Church in Libertyville, Illinois. Uh, so thanks for joining us, Mike. Yeah, glad to be here. And uh, we are we are in uh, our third episode with Dr. Tom Price, uh, and he's joining us today. And we are kind of continuing a series that we started in episode uh, 76, where we talked about the nature of all things and the nature of God. Like, wh- what is this world that we live in? And who is God? Like, what what is his nature? And then we, in episode 82, we went to more of human nature. What's the nature of humans? And we saw that God is the gift giver and, and humans are a gift all the way down. We have a gift nature. And today we're going to um, transition into, I think, a natural kind of outflow of that. And that's human freedom. Uh, but before I, can, before I continue, uh, Tom, welcome again uh, to the show. Great, great to be back and great to be joined by uh, Mike as well. This is our first meeting, but happy to, to have him along. Yeah, and Mike. And see you again, of course. <laughs> Mike's a very thoughtful guy. And he's the one actually introduced me to the uh, podcast a while oh, ago. Oh, nice. So ah, you can, I like him even better you now. You can blame him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, when he learned that I was speaking with you, he was... Uh, eager to be able to participate. And I really wanted him to, uh, as well. Nice. Um, so, you know, I listened to the last episode that we did together, episode 82, uh, four times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and because I kept getting new things out of it and realizing, uh, that I didn't, I wasn't quite tracking with you the whole time. Uh, but that was great. I, I think like reading a good book, like good episodes like that, lend itself to that. Uh, one of the things I want to highlight that I, I didn't quite uh, pick up on the first time around was mm-hmm. uh, the relationship between um, the material in, in human nature, the relationship between the spiritual and the material and mm-hmm. what you were saying, uh, because you were kind of pointing out that we tend to see them as two separate things and, and we, I don't know if we put them against each other, but just two separate things that exist independently. But you're really pointing out that this that this this the spiritual nature is first, and from that flows the material nature. So they're so they really are you know bound up together. And so even yeah. then, in our discussion about human nature, like does it have a body, soul, spirit? You know, two parts, three parts. Even that doesn't really make as much sense when you back up and say, no, that they're not in competition with each other, that the material is a logical or, or or flows out from the, from the immaterial spiritual part. And that just, for me, it, yeah, shows you how whole we are and how God has made us. And then that, I think that's a good setup too, for then how are we to understand human freedom uh, (laughs) because of that, because our parts aren't, you know, against uh, each other. But as I was thinking about um, freedom, then, uh, 
and then all the issues that our culture is like deal, dealing with right now, there's a lot of yeah. issues. But if you could yeah, boil yeah. them all down to one word, it might be <laughs> freedom. I mean, just think about it. Like to wear a mask or not to wear a mask, <laughs> to get vaccinated, not to get vaccinated, to choose to abort or not to. Like who's, whose choice is that? To own guns, yeah. not to own guns. Our sexuality, like well, what kind of sex do we want to have? When, where, with whom, what, you know, all of that's mm-hmm. wrapped up in there. We feel like it's our, you know, freedom. That's a choice. Even our biology or gender, our pronouns, we feel like we get to choose that too. To protest, yeah. to the march the streets or not to. Uh, mm-hmm. Reparations or things with, even with artificial intelligence and chat GPT, like we like them so much because it frees us to, think of anything we want to think like we see these uh pictures of like uh w- of Jesus taking a selfie like we want to be able to the freedom to imagine that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh safe spaces i mean it just goes on and on but it seems like at the core of all of these are is the idea of freedom and mm-hmm. you bring this this theological vision this christological vision from the bible and I think that has a, a lot to say to freedom and our and where we're at right now. And um, uh, let's start from there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I think you're you're hitting on kind of what we would probably be quite easy. It would be quite easy to show that the fundamental god of our age, if you will, <laughs> um, is sort of the Promethean human will, right? That the human being, in terms of being a choosing agent, um, is sovereign. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't, you know, you could basically argue that for contemporaries, um, there is, you know, they hold basically the unreality of any higher value than their own choice, right? Mm-hmm. So previous ways of conceiving of human being and freedom were that such things are governed, ordered, directed towards some higher good, that which is good in itself. But for us, there is no, you know, there is no higher good and we're threatened by any intrusion of some higher good other than kind of what we find palatable with our desires and what we're, you know, "Quote unquote," free to choose for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mike, could, could you could you explain why that might be? I mean, yeah, you know, and however you'd like to do that, whether that's just through kind of explaining how we got here, or yeah, just because you're right, there's absolutely this aversion to um, uh, to any limiting givens in our yeah. lives. So you could interpret the you could interpret gender ideology from that that view that. Um, that what freedom is is liberation from the givens of my body. Um, in many ways, feminism, going all the way back to first wave feminism, um, was was much of that. I mean, Mary Wollstonecraft yeah. was advocating a liberation from yeah. givens of the female body, um, the uh, um, mm-hmm. and its connection to procreation. Like, so th- there's all these givens in our lives, things that mm-hmm. are that just come along with being born as us 
And in the mm -hmm. past, it sounds like the, the, that's how we discovered our destiny. That's how yeah. we discovered our, our purpose was to, to fulfill our duties to these, yeah. uh, these givens because they were given by God. But now freedom is, is liberation from all the givens. Mm -hmm. And then we're, we're wondering why we're all depressed and, and yeah. have no direction. So <laughs> why do you think it is that, like, what makes mm -hmm. this attractive? You know, what, yeah. what makes this attractive for, for folks? Mm -hmm. But I, I think you use good good language right there, this kind of limiting givens. And I think that is what we dealt with a little bit last in the last episode. And for those who haven't uh, listened to it, maybe it's good to kind of go back to it, is limiting the the older Christian way, um, and not just the Christian way, but Christianity brought a, a certain enhancement to it, was that these aren't limiting givens. These are limiting gifts. There's <laughs> a difference. Um, and they have to do the, their orienting gifts, because at the heart of all reality is the reception of the gift of being. Right? We 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 don't exist in ourselves. Mm -hmm. We aren't existence itself. Nothing about our nature exists um, of its own source. Mm -hmm. It is always receiving being from the one who is being itself. That's mm -hmm. abstract language for a theological point that God is the self-existent one alone. Um, and so because of that, we are we are always receiving the gift that we are. And it is always mm -hmm. in an inward way oriented towards receiving existence from God as its source. So there is an internal orientation of the whole creation towards God as the giver of its existence and both mm -hmm. what it is and that it is. Think of it just in a kind of creaturely analogy of, of plants to the sun, right? Mm -hmm. The source of, of life in many ways is that which it's orienting itself towards so that it can be, so it can flourish and thrive and, and reach mm -hmm maturity and everything else right so th this is much stronger picture so you wouldn't the plant wouldn't see the the uh you know the fact that it isn't the sun uh -huh. um as something to rebel against and therefore hide itself from the sun what happens to the plant if it actually gets behind the rock or something mm -hmm. you know the wrong kind of limiting mm -hmm. um source well it dies right it doesn't flourish and so these the limits that we have are part of the gifts that orient the distinct kind of gifts we are within a whole fabric of gifts for the mutual flourishing of them all as they're all oriented towards God as the ultimate source of their good. So, you know, so what you have there is freedom in the classic Christian sense is the capacity to truthfully enact the creature that you are. Mm -hmm. And that means orienting yourself towards the direction you're oriented and making decisions and actions based on um, how you fathom that which is ultimate and the, the proper path to it. So it's a, it's a whole different thing than you, you pick what you want to pick. Right without some strong orientation um governing governing and guiding it i mean that's very abstract so i don't know if that that well, answers it, but I, i'll get to I the history of it i can get to the history of it maybe that'll be even better that'd be really cool and um you know i, I think uh just to, to leap on that a little bit you know i uh, i love the um the idea of truthfully enacting what you are um yeah. in uh, a book that 
the listeners might um, benefit from is Begotten or Made by Oliver O'Donovan. Yes. Where he, you know, so he he brings um uh he brings this this to the the transgender question at one point where he's talking about the body and he says something along the lines of uh that what our purpose what we ought to do with the body is to discern its possibilities so in other words what i'm trying to do is contrast like take one example and contrast two ways of approaching it so on the one hand what you have with gender ideology in our time it seems to be uh i don't want to talk too long but it's a you look inward for meaning and you kind of discern how you feel and you actualize that feeling. That's your, that's your purpose. Yeah. In the Christian vision, in O'Donovan's words, we're, we, we see what we've been given. We discern the body and its possibilities, and then we live them out. So I mean, it's, it's almost like the body is a vocation. It's a calling. And, yeah. and what we want is the freedom to enact that calling. Um, and then our life is full of these callings. The body is only one example. Yeah. And what we want to do is be able to, as you said, truthfully enact the, the calling of these many callings that God gives us through the gifts in, in our lives. Yeah. yeah, I think that's, uh, Donovan's point is exactly the same, that there is an inbuilt orientation in our creaturely gifts towards the good, towards God mm-hmm. and yeah. and and so in being oriented that way there is a a pattern to it a form to it it's not arbitrary it's not an imposition of an arbitrary will it's actually a a being marked by god as the infinite source of sheer plenitude and joy Mm. that forms that pattern Mm. and as we participate in it the right way we get to enjoy all those things that are gods by nature Mm. in a creaturely way i mean what is life and joy and peace and long suffering and fulfillment and completion but those aspects of what are gods by nature that Mm. we as creatures are longing for oriented towards but because of our fallenness have distorted and 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 rebelled against so we see these things as limiting us rather than actually fostering our our fullness and our you know our our sabbath if you will where we rest Mm. and so um i think a donovan hits that well um maybe taking a few steps back just to address the the point you made earlier and this is a bit of a complicated history but i've tried to sum it up um in a way that takes a lot of detail and and kind of hits the highlights um, and so I think one way of doing it, and I think we may have talked a little bit about this on our on our the first time uh, we, we met. But one of the things that that Christianity carves out is a profound sense of tr- the transcendence of God, unlike anything anywhere. Um, and as it confronted the Hellenic world, um, it didn't have a lot of options and it wanted to present the Christian view of God as creator in a way that was faithful to what the scriptures taught and didn't get hijacked by an alien philosophy. And so if you look at a a lot of what the early church was doing, it's trying to hammer out, how do we use language in a Hellenic context to communicate Hebraic truth, if you will, um, and truth that, but truth for everyone, um, utilizing the language to be able to communicate, but taking that language, gutting it of its 
its uh, pagan associations and employing it for Christian service. So a lot of people think of that as the Hellenization of Christianity. I think it's the flip side, the Christianization mm -hmm. of Hellenism. It's, mm -hmm. it's the only way in which an incarnational faith can actually go in and take mm -hmm. back, um, could kind of plunder the goods of the Egyptians and give them back to the temple mm -hmm. of God where they belong, right? Yeah. So what Christianity does is it, it's, it's kind of locked in to, to kind of two, two big limits um, to communicate. Um, on the one hand, uh, you basically had a view of God's transcendence, which was oppositional, which basically said, if God is imminent, then he can't be transcendent. So because God is basically like everything else, the only way to contrast God with everything else is for them to be opposite each other. So if we're imminent to each other, God must be far away, right? That language. So God isn't present in the way in, in which God would be if God was imminent, like a pantheist would hold or a panentheist. On the flip side, you had views of deity, which basically made them the, the you know, only to be able to, if they were imminent, um, only be limited. And therefore, they couldn't be transcendent. So they would be local gods, right? Or localized deities or views of God being present in this temple or this place. You see it actually in the gospel where the woman comes to Jesus and Jesus basically says, the time is coming when, you know, you will worship God in spirit and truth. In other words, transcendence is going to break open yeah. um, in a way that wherever you are. God, God's presence will, will, will have been open to you. Um, so Christianity basically says both of these possibilities are wrongheaded. And if you notice, Paul on Mars Hill basically says, on the one hand, you get something right, pagans. It's that you see that you have a temple to an unknown God, right? One that isn't able basically to, to be located or even named. Um, but then Paul goes on to say that you are not far from it. You're actually groping towards it by mm. acknowledging there isn't one that is merely a localized deity. Rather, he quotes their poets. You yeah. are God's offspring. In him, you live and move and have your being. Yeah. And so what Paul is already doing is starting to address this on a metaphysical level, the way in which the transcendence of God is not viewed in competition with the rest of creation. Rather, it's that which can be so intimately present to it because it is so transcendent of it and not on the same scale of being. It's the source of its whole being, so it's present as source to everything that is. Hmm. So even the person who is the atheist who thinks they have a place they can go away from God doesn't realize that God is not one thing at the top of the chain of things, but is the very source that gives them the being that allows them to be an atheist. <laughs> no God, no atheist. There's a little irony. So, they, so God is not one more agent alongside other agents. Yeah. God's the infinite source, plenitude of perfect sheer existence without any limitation or lack that is personal we'll see that in a second mm -hmm. um and is intimately connected to everything there is but in such a way that he, he is not one more thing alongside the creatures or locked into the creation it's not pantheism it's mm -hmm. not panentheism it's that god is closer to creation than it is to its own self mm -hmm. Pan pantheism and panentheism are basically the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. 
they're basically God is basically locked into, you know, the world as a body or something like that. Right. So here, God is so close and intimate, but at the same time, in his own order of transcendent being, completely not one more thing within the realm of reality that we experience and feel and talk about. He's the source of that whole reality so rather people, than one more thing. If people mm-hmm. grasp that, and then maybe they need to hit the back uh 10% or whatever a few times and listen to that again. But yeah. as you grasp that, I mean, that really changes the idea of freedom then. Freedom from that God or freedom as a creature. Yeah. So I'm, Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you set that up that way because it's, yeah, that changes it's, the way you think about freedom. Yeah. Well, free, so go ahead. Yeah, I'll be quick. It's so key. And, you know, a helpful source that folks might be able to find is um, Hans Borsma's article called Dionysian Power in mm, Touchstone yeah. um, a little while ago. Uh, you know, the way the way that you could imagine this is we think of a pyramid and God is sort of the capstone of the pyramid. That's how we how we often conceptualize God. He's kind of at the top of the ladder. And then as you go down the ladder, you're you're farther and farther from where God is. You know, he can't possibly be at every rung of the ladder. That's not the Christian vision. Mm-hmm. The Christian vision is that that at every moment, um, from the quantum particle to to the the biggest uh, you know a black hole to you know all, all wherever you are in the universe, God is actively sustaining and authorizing and underwriting the existence of that thing and it's being sustained by his own life by the the overflow of his own of his own being yeah um and so as people are making decisions and and as the atheist is is rejecting god for instance as he's rejecting the presence of god god is actively sustaining him in his being as as he's doing that and and giving authorization for for that to be included in in the story of creation that moment he's giving active authorization so that the, there's um god isn't the the cue ball that hits the next billiard ball he's not the first domino he's he's underwriting he's the ground on which all this stuff is, is taking place and you know people could there's reasons to uh to not like some of what Paul Tillich said, but the, the idea of God being the ground of being, you know, is he's ground. Yeah, he was, he was, he was itching towards it. I and mean, yeah. I think he was, um, yeah, it's some of what he did later with it, but yeah, I mean, he, he understood that the conception of basically the, the conception in the West had taken a turn that basically God was the biggest thing around. And then concursus was the only mm-hmm. way or determinism were the only ways of trying to to work mm-hmm. out the relationship between a huge divine agent over against other creaturely agents in such a way that it wasn't merely a, a kind of you know a imposition of a divine will onto the rest of everything else and and so and so it you know it basically we I think one of the things that atheism modern atheism tends to do is because it has a caricature. And Christians played into the caricature of God as basically the bigger agent mm-hmm. um, is basically seeing the anthropomorphism there and just kind of basically saying, okay, let's negate it. Um, right. But they don't go far enough. <laughs> and that's, that's the, that that's, you know, that's part of their problem. But yeah, I think that um, for, for a lot of people, 
you know, it's it's very hard to grasp talking about God because the only language we have is kind of human agency mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. creaturely mm-hmm. agency to be the reference point. L- and let me chime because, in before you go uh-huh. on with uh, just uh, balance out the atheist. <gasps> Uh, even, even the Pharisee who, you know, in Luke 18 is claiming I fast twice a week, I give to the poor, I do all these things. Uh, (laughs) that's the same instinct, right? To want to say that you're doing these things, um, uh, on your own, independent of God, God doing those things through you and giving you that life and those opportunities. Yep. That's right. And I, I mean, I think it was, I see I have a little quote here. I, th- I think it was one, uh, Aquinas who basically came out and said, uh, God alone is really the only one that can induce a kind of change um, in in the human agent um, that allows for it to will freely. And th- that blows me away. And, and I'll unpack that and say, let me put yeah. it differently. Um, God alone can induce a change, move a creature so that it freely acts in such a way that it can move itself mm. now that kind of language is very hard for us to get but yeah. it's one that that it's not concursus it's participation and that there is a there's a huge difference on what's going on there but let me back up to what yep. the, the kind of story i was telling and then I'll, I'll bring us back in and i won't take too long with this and so what happens with when christianity develops its idea of god reflecting on christ his two natures and then what the nature of the trinity is this is really what drove the the um philosophical uh rev- revising um, one of the things that is affirmed first and foremost in Christian theology is, you know, God's aseity, meaning God is self-existent, which means um, God possesses his nature in such a way that he need nothing else in order to be. He is being itself, right? I mean, that's another way of putting it. Um, and so is complete and full and is not augmented, not made bigger, not diminished not dependent on anything else, whether he creates or not. So in creating, nothing is added to God, nothing is diminished in God. God is fully and perfectly God one way or the other. God needs nothing in order to be, right, or be the perfection that God is. And so the Christian question of creation then, if God is, we understand, because God is being itself, right? I understand why reality is, because something is real that is reality itself right (laughs) um but why in the world does creation exist if god doesn't need it is full and complete is a triune infinite plenitude of perfect communion and love lacks nothing why is there anything else and again god doesn't need God's in, you know, I know we use emanation language a lot, but even theologians, when they picked up that God's overflow, this is not a necessity with God. God is, in other words, God isn't some sort of big container and all of a sudden God's bubbling up out of the container that God is. It's not right? intentional. Yeah. And so it's intentional. This is where we start to get into the personal and intelligible nature of God. That God doesn't need any of this, but out of that plenitude and sheer goodness has lovingly chosen to create out of that which otherwise is nil, not even an idea, not a concept, not a form that needs to be filled, absolute nothing, which we cannot even conceive of, 
to donate being and reality and form and purpose to that which otherwise is not so that it can participate in the rich plenitude that God is by nature through participation, right? That's what creation is. It, it, and it's inbuilt and oriented to that. As St. Augustine says, the heart sits restless, right? It's oriented towards that which only infinity can give until it rests in thee. So does everything else about us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why do we keep wanting to change our appearance and our look? There's something that we can't yet find complete in our natures, even our material natures, that we don't want to skip over the hard process of being formed the right way in order to to, to kind of start self-fashioning. So anyway, this view of creation as sheer gift and oriented towards God as its plenitude, of course, the fall comes in and breaks into that. So on the one hand, we have receiving this gift and we're oriented to the plenitude that God is. We desire it. But our perverted wills, our fallenness, oriented towards creaturely things rather than the creator. And so we try to get out of creaturely things only that which the creator can give. And we're never satisfied. The heart's restless. We're always looking for, quote, unquote, affirming care. No, what we're looking for is is the peace that God gives, but we're looking, thinking the psychologists and surgery are going to supply it for us, right? Um, and rather than receiving the gift of our being. So anyway, that gets frustrated. And then, of course, Christ comes in and, and calls us back to, to partake of that, that wholeness. Now, in the 13th, 14th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th century, um, dis- distortions of that vision started to creep in. And I'll use just two two terms. Our my audience knows pretty well. Voluntarism is one thing, and nominalism is the other. Now it is more complicated yeah. than this, but this is kind of a good way to talk about it. So basically, what happens is, um, well, well, three things happen. First, God starts to be considered not merely the infinite source independent in and of himself of all things, but basically becomes the most supreme being in relationship, one supreme agent in relationship to everything else. See, that inward orientation of the Christian vision was grounded in the intelligibility that the divine nature is, the Logos. Well, this view put the Logos and intelligibility under the will. This is where voluntarism comes in. So you have a super creature, really, now that is a strong agent. And anything God does, any intelligibility or will or command he imposes on the creation is really considered arbitrary because God just sheerly wills it freely, not because it's congruent with the perfect nature that God is. Now, some will try to tame it and say God's character is like this. This is why his actions are like this. But there's no guarantee. So you have a, a impositional deity um, imposing, quote unquote, for our own good, things mm. that, that no longer are inbuilt and oriented to good, but are really just from without impositions of an agent onto a creation that isn't teleological, but is filled with little agents made in the image of this agent that are sheer wills too. 
and they have wills that they want to do things. And guess what happens when you have a bunch of wills now, not there to 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 be oriented towards the good and the plenitude of the whole, but each to realize its own its own self through imposing its its choices and actions. We have a conflictual competitive reality. Yeah. First of all, there's a rupture now between the creator and the creature because if God wills something, it somehow limits my will. And it's arbitrary because it's not grounded in the truth of things. It's just grounded in a deity who just so happens to want it to be that way. So God may have made me a male, but it's arbitrary. And mm -hmm. since I'm an agent too, I can choose to do it differently mm -hmm. than God endowed me. See? Um, so there's your voluntarism. Nominalism is basically that there is no teleological order. What do I mean by that? There is no imprint in creation that orients it towards its fulfillment and goodness, which means our choices now become those places in which we try to impose a meaning and order on the reality that we think accords with us and what we think is good. So like there's so no now, box top to the puzzle where you can look at the picture and see what it's supposed to be? That's right. And so it becomes it becomes nothing more than, you know, a quote unquote right um, which doesn't make a lot of sense eventually because a right presupposes that there is a nature that has a proper teleology, a purpose mm -hmm. and, and, and orientation. But if there isn't one, then those rights can be very easily taken away because they're not grounded in the nature of things. They're merely grounded in the, the will of a, a people. What happens when a, a consensus arises that no longer wants to grant that to you? Remember, even the, 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 the founders of the U.S. had enough theological sense even in their deism, to note that th these rights are guaranteed by the creator. Why? They understood what happens if you let that will loose mm. uh, of, you know, um, detached and unmoored from any teleological or theological order. Um, it mm. becomes tyranny or fascist um, very, very quickly. So, so yeah, so what you end up getting <clears throat> is a picture. Uh, well, let me back up. So if God is basically a bigger will than ours, and yet we have wills that counter God's. Well, it's not long before it's easy to kind of throw God out of the picture. Mm -hmm. If I'm not forced by God's agency to do something, then I can start doing it my own way, and eventually mm -hmm. I can see that I do it my way long enough and God hasn't intervened, um, allows me to do it. There's no real need for the God hypothesis anymore. <laughs> Um, and so it can be nature or nothing. Either way, both are pretty much similar. Nihilism starts to, to fill it. There is no um, ultimate source of all things that is loving and purposeful, but there is basically an arbitrary creation. And because it is arbitrary, it has it's nihil. There's nothing about it um, other than kind of survival, maybe that uh, governs it and so therefore we as agents and conscious agents can impose and select and choose um according to what we desire and want and then you have you know this is where hobbes ends up right you have a bunch of competing wills um and so you need leviathan sort of to step in and and kind of keep them all under control if you will they'll give up some of their freedom of choice for the safety that a you know 
a strong form of government would take. I mean, that's one example of it. Or you have anarchy, right? popular level this volunteerism idea uh, I'm not sure if this is a different direction but does it play out in like you hear these theodicies uh, around the problem of evil and people say well it was, it was worth God um, allowing people to make free choices because because human will is so important to God that it was worth setting up our whole world this way with a possibility of evil and us doing mm-hmm. evil in order to preserve the human will because it was, it was so important. And that's kind of their argument for, you know, justifying why, uh, why there's evil and suffering in the world. Yeah. There, there, I think a lot of the philosophical theology that is, is kind of floods through even mainstream evangelicalism or philosophy schools is already pretty much voluntarist. Yeah. And I hear that a lot. free will theism. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, yeah. yeah, I mean, though, I understand what they're trying to come up with. They're trying to figure out how can that which is perfect and good create a creation um, in which something that is fundamentally evil can come about, um, where it can be seen as part of the, in the end, something that still achieves the good um, mm-hmm. that was set out. And again, I think there's a lot of competition going on in that that story, but it also doesn't see the primitive nature, I think, of of evil and sin, and that they are the 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 consequence of of the improper enactment of our creatureliness. And this is what I often say with the commandments. I mean, we have one, you know, one of the ways in which in theology and our, our reformed world is very stamped with this is the, you know, is this notion of divine command ethics, right? right. God says it, that settles it. You know, God has commanded and that's it. And God's a sovereign authority and you have to submit to this authority. Um, but the picture of that, you know, I, I, I think really rips itself from the hard one parts of scripture and the the tradition of the church is reflection on that of that these things are there wholeheartedly out of the love and goodness of the creator and for our flourishing in god and so those commands as harsh as they are are the things your loving father does says to the kids so that it doesn't stick a butter knife into the light socket right you wouldn't you wouldn't want your your two-year-old running with a, a you know a metal butter knife towards the light socket your command can be pretty harsh to communicate the the seriousness of yeah. of, of this and, yeah. and the consequence of of it not doing it in other words creation is inbuilt with its orientation to god as its source and fulfillment so in, other in words- any in any enactment of it that is outside of that is going to bring 
create, you know, a cancer, if you will, mm. it, something that is destructive of it because it's it's made and ordered to reality this way. And although there's a lot of parameter and flexibility, nevertheless, there are consequences even to the smallest move away from that order of things. Um, and it's ordered toward the good. It's not an arbitrary ordering. It's not something that it, it is something that has the form it has, the whole of creation. I mean, look at Genesis, the care, right? This be fruitful, multiply, do this, um, procreate, a male and female, he makes them. And the, the byproduct of that is natural procreation. You don't need technology to intervene here, except for in, in the fallen, broken world, right? You don't, you don't need any of that. Why? It unfolds and flourishes without any of it, long before you know, our technology came on the scene, right? And so, and so there, this is right at the heart of reality. So to variate from it, to to you know to take one form of create creature and try to to make it work with another form of creature, it isn't going to happen, and it's going to have consequences, right? Yeah. Um, and and so that's with the moral fabric, the spiritual fabric, and the material fabric of of creation, and what the voluntarist, the nominalist vision does is it doesn't consider any of that. It considers the feeling or the desire or the want or, or surely just the choice um, as ultimate, not worrying about the consequence. And so what you hit it right on the nose earlier, all of our social problems and family problems and everything else stem largely from choosing and discerning that don't consider the larger matrix of created reality oriented to God the right way. So to summarize, I think I'm getting this. I like this. Mm -hmm. So the way we think of freedom now, most people think of freedom are in ways that have swallowed these two things that you talk about. We've swallowed the idea of voluntarism where my will and desires are most important and most the most important ones in the room. And <laughs> we could just, you know, agree about that depending on who we're in the room with, but we, we believe that someone's will is most important in that room. But then the other thing that we swallowed is the, the lack of a box top idea, the lack of a puzzle yeah. box top idea. So it's our will any way we want. And that's the way we think about freedom. Yeah. yeah maybe an example of how, where this shows up. I mean, my, um, my, my circles are continuationist. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, there's a number of folks that I've encountered over the years that have a very mature and robust way of conceptualizing the relationship of the spirit to, to our lives. And, and then, but you also run into to folks that have some confusion. And so you, I've met a number of folks where I'll, I'll be talking about, um, you know, preaching for instance, and uh, someone will ask, yeah, but if, um, well, so if you compare two moments of, of a, a preacher's life, one where he's already in the pulpit, the sermon is underway, and then there's kind of this lightning bolt of like, mm -hmm. no, I need to take this in another direction. So take that, mm -hmm. set that to the side. The other way is in the study, he's he's working through, you know, all these materials and thinking about, um, you know, what he's going to put together, and he meticulously writes out this manuscript and then delivers it word for word exactly as he wrote it in the study. And there are a number of folks who will say that God can only be, we only say God was really a part of the first example. 
you know, so uh, so it's yeah. only spontaneous moments yeah. of disruption where God yeah. vetoes your will. Yeah, yeah. Right, where the will of God vetoes your will and overrides it um, such that now now you're just swept along. Now that's that's what God has done. Yeah. But, but it's impossible to think that God was possibly in the study, you know, underwriting the process of the manuscript when, yeah. when in reality uh, he, he, he is, you know, he's, he's underwriting all of the unfolding yeah. of the yeah. universe, all the yeah. unfolding of the cosmos more properly. Um, and so maybe that's an example that can help some folks understand what, what this is getting at. The God is not only involved when he's vetoing. He is not mm -hmm. only involved when he's disrupting yeah. human will such that human will doesn't get exercised anymore. He <laughs> he is prior to all of that. So um, he just doesn't feed the 5,000 miraculously with bread, but he can feed them <laughs> back at home with, with their own bread that maybe they made or whatever, but he's right. still yeah. invo involved in both processes. And, and both, both are the providence of God. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the voluntarist problem. The nominalist problem is where you run into a number a number of Christians who who are so confused about like, well, I mean, it's so it's so easy to pick on the sexual revolution, but um, yeah. but it, rightly so, uh, you know, where you'll have a number of Christians who will say like, you know, yes, it's uh, I, I believe because the Bible says so that it's wrong for a man to be with a man as with a woman, and yet. What is really so wrong about it? You know, they'll, they'll you know, you'll hear folks say something like that. It's like, I mean, if you just, if two men just love each other, what's so wrong about that? And it feels very bigoted and unloving for for one of us who disagrees with that lifestyle to try to interfere. No. Well, the, the reason why it makes sense for the church to have a prophetic witness against what people do in the bedroom is because the universe is made a certain way and allowing somebody to cut against the grain of the universe is a good way to get your your skill saw to jump at you and cut off a finger, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you're 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 only truly participating in in God's life. I mean, the 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 universe is the is the arena for participating in the life of God. You have to do it here. <laughs> Can't go elsewhere to do it. You have to participate in God's life here, and so you and you do so by following the commands He's given. Yeah. To 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 tell you how to participate in that life. And if you're, um, if you're rejecting the clear purposes of body parts in yeah. favor of something you're, you're minting on your yeah. own, you're going, you're not going to participate in that life and you are already participating in hell. It hasn't been concretized through the yeah. judgment, but you're already yeah. participating in hell. And that would be the you, nominalist problem. The problem you're, you're bringing spiritually. This is something because they're not most people who reject God. They either have a kind of, you know, a new age kind of spirituality or materialism or, or somewhere yeah. in between. But, it, but they don't realize the spiritual effect consequence of death that their sin that violates the fabric of created things the right way brings. It brings for the whole of creation. It is not just, you know, treason. Um, but it is cosmic in in its consequence. You know, the, the old flip side, the microcosm, macrocosm of the human with the universe plays out mm -hmm. in a strong way. This is why Adam and Eve, just something so simple as taking, you know, in the in this the you know, the imagery of, of the Genesis text, the forbidden fruit, right, is of such serious consequence mm -hmm. because it is the initiate. In, in other words, it is they've been given 
within they're free to take of all mm -hmm. and flourish with what god has given mm -hmm. but with that which isn't created for them notice that tree was not created for them much less yeah. for their good by partaking there they are on the good gift of being they have and willing they have which depends on god and is free to enact itself within creation they have brought into it a privation Mm. And they allow basically a, a parasite now to be spawned from their being and its perversion and live off of their being. And it has now starts to affect all that is under the dominion of their being, right? Mm. And so with every human being made as an image bearer, their actions in the bedroom or out in public have that parasitic uh mm aspect to them where it unfolds itself in in its consequences on all of reality that that is what scripture will call judgment because it is that which is fundamentally against life it is yeah. fundamentally against the good it isn't derivative of it so god and to your other point god is the creator of all that is other than evil mm. right and so what that means is all of your human actions that are not evil are enactments of god's creation mm. so people i don't think this is where people they, they don't get it they don't realize that uh, I, I think david bentley hart used to put it this way he goes how many of us here would say you know as christians that every child is a creation of god mm. but how many of us think that you know that mom and dad or male and female didn't have any action in to play in that right 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 <laughs> yeah but they're not they're not in competition right yeah. the actual the means in mm. the enactment of that form of creation comes and this is the gift of being a human we get to procreate or or as tolkien will call it co-create mm. not that we are ones that uh, are drawing things into existence right. but with the existence that they are we've been free to 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 unfold the rich plenitude of potential in creation um, that is infinite when it's ordered to God the right way. This is why the arts are so important to, to classic Christianity at, at its mm. better moments. Why? Because through our orienting our imagination and our mind and our building and creating and shaping and forming things, when we do it with the grain of the universe oriented to God the right way, the transcendent permeates it and it allows that creaturely to refract something of the eternal mm. it and this is what our lives as christians and what is fruit of the spirit it's bringing down that which is god's by nature into the temporal and 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 and, and time to be a first fruit of that which which is it's it's called to participate in eternally um so this is really what you get when you're working with real freedom um but and this is why creation groans, right? Until the liberation of the children of God. I mean, think of that passage, right? right? Creation Until the liberation. Yeah, liberation. Waiting yeah. for freedom to actually to to be the refraction of the glory of God, to share in it and be it yeah. um, in all the full, rich plenitudes and joy that that has, and is being held back because of what we do in the bedroom, <laughs> because of. <laughs> what we do um in our lives when we we aren't ordered yeah um, and it's towards... not again not just to pick on on bedroom but 
yeah, humi- I mean, I humility <laughs> or you know any yeah. anything. Can yep. you think yeah. of uh, a Bible story just to give people a uh, to give me maybe uh, a good handle on it where we can think like uh, that portrays this kind of freedom. Like the story of Adam and Eve in the garden stood out to me when you're talking about Mm -hmm. it, because that seems like a little microcosm of maybe true freedom where God says you, I think he says you may surely eat, but maybe you could say you may freely eat from any tree in the garden, except for the tree that's in the midst of the garden. That one, yeah. if you touch it, you'll die. Is that yeah. like a, a microcosm of God's picture of true freedom? Or can you think of another story that stands out? Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think what you begin to see is the freedom of the children of God in the New Testament increasing. I mean, that you, you see really Paul's teaching of, of its first fruits. And he says, look, now because in Christ... You have not only been reunited to God, not sort of back to where things are, but you have actually gone even deeper into being able to commune with, which you're made for, the very inner sanctum of God's Trinitarian intimacy. You've been invited in through Christ as a co, you know, as well, what is the language of scripture, as a, a joint heir one whose sonship and daughtership is now attached to the son. So you have all of the infinite plenitude of benefits that Christ has united to him. And that is really the the beginning source of of our infinite freedom, Um, a freedom that fulfills the law down here, right? Because of Christ's righteousness and therefore doesn't hold us as slaves to it, but through the enactment of our creaturelyhood in the spirit of putting off all those things that no longer have to do with who we are and putting on Christ, right? All those, those things that um, bring the creation back to its inbuilt orientation to God and the spirit, that becomes the, um, the glorious, what, what is that, that verse in the Psalms? Um, Oh, the the term escapes me right now. But the the glorious, basically the glorious joy uh, of the children of God, or free, you know, the liberty of the freedom of God. Um, so life in the spirit um, is our way of beginning to enact creatureliness, no longer under the governance of the fall and mm-hmm. of our attempts to impose our will on the world, but to actually be caught up in our inbuilt built desire to to uh, to pattern our life and draw our life from the plenitude of God's own life. I was thinking about the movie. Um, Sam, could I? Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I just, I, I want to interject something that I, I think might be, might be helpful. Uh, so, so what's lurking behind this conversation, the assumption that's, that's operating behind all this that might be helpful for the listeners is to, to recognize that we are habituated into thinking that God holds us back from something we want Mm. to do right god like god's commands are holding us Mm. back from freedom holding us back from sin or maybe we we disagree with the commandments of god we don't think we don't even think it is sin you know and no that's um, completely right like we can god's holding us back man yeah um (laughs) when when really it is the reverse yep sin is holding us back from god sin is holding us back from true freedom Mm. 
So yeah. it, it is in Christ that we are freed to be what we were made to be. Yeah. Like you were made to image God. You were made to participate in his life and you can't uh, because of sin and because of the perishability of your body, which is a consequence of sin. Mm -hmm. And it is in Christ that you are being restored to uh, to your purpose. You know, to put it in very, very simplistic terms, that is yeah. what Christian freedom is. Like you don't, you don't need freedom from the commands of God. You need freedom for them. Yeah. You need the yeah. law written on your heart, yeah. so that so that you are uh, acting in the spirit according to to life itself. It's movie, it's great. Go ahead. The Sam. movie I was uh, thinking of just uh, to. The movie I was thinking of is A Man for All Seasons, uh, the story of who, Sir Thomas uh, Moore, and yeah. he was uh, imprisoned by for going up against Henry VIII, right, and disagreeing with him. Uh, so he was in prison for, for his faith and for those kinds of reasons. But uh, all they had to do was not, well, he just had to say some words and he'd get out of, get out of prison. But I remember someone in the movie visiting him. And I can't remember the quote exactly, but they're like, how can you be in this, in this place, in this dungeon, you know? And he just, he kind of looked off into the distance and he said, it's just a place. It's just a place. <laughs> and like, that's so, that's the, I guess the subversiveness of true freedom where you can be free even when you're in prison, even when yeah. sin and life circumstances has one idea uh, when you're aligned with humility and you're aligned to the box top and aligned to God's will, like thy will be done, then it's just a place and you can be anywhere in any circumstance and you can be free. It's, it's the, I mean, one of the things, you know, maybe another way of, of, of communicating some of the, the profundity of it is kind of to place the commandments in the context of of fullness let me get at what i mean by that we're created hungry beings right mm -hmm. we're created with need that that it that we constantly needing to satiate our bodies need food we need water we need you know we have sexual appetite we have all these app we have all these things that don't make us mm -hmm. complete in and of ourselves and we often try to turn in our fallenness to ourselves to think somehow if i can get a hold of my core of my being right somehow i'm going to get a hold of that which satiates everything um but it isn't found there we're image bearers we aren't the source of our being we receive it and we're oriented to it that's it's so there is a both an intrinsic orientation towards that which isn't us right then what we do is we find we're made for absolute sheer perfect bliss mm. joy Joy is probably the most profound thing. I mean, count it all joy. Rejoice. I mean, if you think of joy, it's beyond just happiness or feeling good. It is that kind of tasting of something of eternal sheer bliss that never ends and it just fills us with, I mean, both, both we weep and we laugh and cry all in the same moment because it is so beautiful. Maybe it, you know, you feel we're filled. made for that. We're made for that, and that's what God is. Mm -hmm. And what you look for, where you get that mm -hmm. little bit of joy or satisfaction in this sexual relationship or in this overeating or in this, those things are meant to be creaturely examples of what you're 
made for an eternity, but they're not meant to be the eternity. You're not supposed mm -hmm. to submit mm -hmm. and become slaves to them. You're supposed to partake of them in a way that allows you not to become a slave. Mm -hmm. That's taking them the right way. That's mm -hmm. following the commands. The commands are allowing you not to turn those things into what God is. Mm -hmm. It's telling you basically, what, what is the first command? God doesn't need you to love God. Mm -hmm. The first command is for you to love God. Why? Because you're made for that. God is love and the source of all love. And therefore, for you to image forth love is to receive it from its fullness. And the only way you can do that is placing your heart in that fullness first. Mm -hmm. And then from there, what's the next command? Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. You'll love yourself the right way because you haven't turned yourself into a God. And you'll love a neighbor the mm -hmm. right way. Why? You don't try to exact from them what only God mm -hmm. can give. So therefore derivatively, you can love them as a, a co-creature. And then if you look at the rest of them, right, um, don't steal. Well, because I can trust God as the infinite good of all things and source, and therefore his provision for me, I don't need to take from my neighbor because that's what God has allotted them, right? And God has for me. And if I have to take a hold back or I have to withdraw or not have something for the time being, my trust in God's goodness, because God is the infinite perfect source of my bliss, is is what allows me to do this so the commandments are read in a way that complements the beatitudes in the mm -hmm. new testament right mm -hmm. blessed are the poor in spirit that's what i was right? thinking yep yeah good um maybe a good way to to really uh you know drive this home um and, and illustrate it tom could you could you uh explain to us how how paul can say these same two things. He can say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And then he can also tell us to be slaves, douloi, yeah. to Christ. Yeah. Um, maybe this is related mm -hmm. to the subject that we're talking about here, uh, about metaphysical freedom. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how do those two things, how are they reconciled in, in this vision of freedom? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I, I mean, I think one way of, of stating it is that when when scripture uses the language both in Christ we are free, but then you know the call to obedience, right? Um, I mean you can kind of get a glimpse of it with Paul in in Romans seven eight nine that area because what you have is you have Paul first trying to wrestle with something similar, you know, um, why is it that I do what I hate and I hate what I do? In other words, the 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 form of godliness and righteousness on the one hand reminds me that I should do this and live. But on the other hand, I find myself hating it and not wanting to do it. You know, who's going to save me from this rupture in my own existence? Well, then he turns, thanks be to God for, you know, in Jesus Christ. There's your doxology, right? The, 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 the move away from idolatry to becoming thankful again. But the source of that, Jesus Christ, for in him there is no condemnation at all. Now, Christ has fulfilled the 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 aspects of the law that allow us now to have all of their benefits without having to muster it up out of our own resources. Mm -hmm. Not only that, he says, for those who uh, live in the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. We are able to fulfill and obey those because we now live according to the law of the spirit. What does that mean? It's the way in which the form of the law is now fulfilled in us as we're united to Christ and follow him, obey him. 
So in our becoming a quote unquote slave to Christ, right. we're really in the utmost form of liberation because we're no longer held back by the flesh, but we are fr increasingly freed by the spirit to partake of that which is God's by nature. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the form is now a form of freedom, not a form of slavery. It's the way into that life by putting off all those things that no longer have to do with us so that we can put on all of those new things that have to do with us as we're, we live this life in, in Christ. And so I think Colossians really sets it out. You now, you now are to see who you are in light of who Christ is in the heavens, where you are seated with him at his right hand. Think of that. That's reality now. You are seated with him at his right hand. Why can't you see it? Because you haven't put off the old, taken off all the old yet, and put on the new, the first fruits of taking off corruption and putting on incorruption. So being a slave to Christ is just another way of being liberated in the spirit to enact truthfully your creatureliness. <clears throat> um, and so they, they aren't they aren't uh, consistent because Jesus will also say, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Right. Yeah. And so we, we go from, from kind of that kind of relationship to friendship and uh, friendship with God. And I think that's a whole different way of reading yeah. slavery because slavery here simply means I have given the fullness of who I am to death to receive the true fullness of who I am, which is found in, in Christ. Well, I think of the picture of uh, Jesus um, saying, take my yoke upon me. And I know yeah. normally we think of, or teachers portray it as Jesus is on one side of the yoke and I'm on the other side of the yoke, but it doesn't have to be that way. It could just yeah. be simply that I'm in the yoke and yeah. he's behind right. me driving me. Like I'm yeah. the ox yeah. <laughs> and right. he's yeah. driving me. And when he says, take my yoke upon me, uh, yeah, upon yourself, upon you. it's allow me to steer and guide and drive your life. And life yeah. will be a lot easier for you. You'll stop uh, running into trees. You'll stop uh, making a wreck of your life. Let me steer you and guide you and lead you and, and the way you should go. And, and that will be freedom. Not to be unyoked from me driving you, but to allow me to drive and guide you. Yeah, it's the, the, the orientation of our being once... Christ is alive in us is it becomes the, the kind of the, this is where you, you start to see the love for God take shape and form in our lives. But we still need to be weaned off of idols and our desires purified until mm. our glorification or deification, how, whatever tradition we are in. And so, so those things are, can be painful, right? Um, that's what sanctification is mm. all about. You know, the fact that I need cleansing. Um, and so so there is a sense of utter obligation and serious. I mean, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, right? There is that side to it, but the yoke is still easy because you're not, you know, you're sitting, this is all done under there is no, therefore, no condemnation for all those that are in Christ. And I think that really is the, the, the key difference. Um, I think people who think that, you know, see these these commands as burdensome are those that aren't aren't carrying them out under the mm -hmm. no condemnation. Well, they're, I want to not... wrap things up um, for now, um, but I want to give you guys a last uh, give you guys mm -hmm. the last word. So uh, this has been a really helpful conversation. I mean, there's been some 
if, if, if you think about climbing a, a wall or a rock face, there's been some <laughs> real toeholds that I've been able to grab onto to uh, help understand the difference between uh, worldly freedom and then the kind of freedom that God wants us to have and that we were made to have. So, but any last words that you have, Mike, I'll start with uh, you as you've reflecting on the conversation, well, thoughts or this, questions. This yeah, this has been so good. Thank you, Tom. Um, Thank you. I, I get the impression that, you know, in, in the back and forth, we probably only, you know, got to the very tip of what you were, uh, tip of the iceberg in terms of what you probably had prepared to say. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, so for for anyone who wants to do further study, um, you know, our, before the show started, we talked about maybe you sharing some some recommendations, um, and it it could be academic, you know, um, yeah. you know, no assumptions about what what someone's willing to undertake. But are there a couple names or or books that you'd you'd mention for folks to dive more into either freedom or or any of the topics from the previous episodes that you've you've been on? Um, yeah, they, you know, again, I may have to get back in terms of a, a fuller list, but I know that uh, David Burrell, who was uh, a philosophical theologian, I don't know if he's still around. I think he, I think he passed a few years back. Um, he wrote an article called Creation, Metaphysics, and Ethics, and I'm trying to find the title to that so you can find it. But that, the, I mean, the title of the journal, but the essay is Creation, Metaphysics, and Ethics. Oh, faith and philosophy was the was the journal. Okay. Um, and it is still you can still get it because I just copied a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that is one. And really, anything uh, Dave Burrell did in faith and philosophy and his debates with uh, people like William Hasker and other evangelicals is uh, he is from the philosophical theological angle. Although he can be pretty you know, challenging to read, and he he you know he gets into you know Avicenna, he gets into Maimonides. I mean, he gets into some right. thick stuff. Um, but he he he's really setting out a little bit of the contrast between the libertarian picture of things of the modern world or the the kind of um, compatibilist determinism versus classic Christ, Christian visions. Um, he's very rich with that. Um, I, I have I have two, and maybe I could get copies of them. Uh, I, the little journal that the uh, cross politics guy, Fight, Laugh, Feast, they had me write on one of these on uh, the gift character of creation. Oh, cool. And the other one is on um, God, as we've been talking about it in the first episode. So it's a oh, very accessible. Awesome yeah, if I could, I could uh, uh, give me, I will try. I will, uh, Sam, what's the best way of, me to get that uh, maybe a, a copy of it. I don't know because I think they would have to subscribe to get the mm. the um yeah I, I'll have to I'll have to talk to you afterwards yeah. to figure out the best way to, okay. to make that accessible. Um that's one source. Uh I mean I you know who do I spend a lot of my time reading? Uh you know a classic source. I read a lot of Richard Hooker, the Anglican divine uh the he's both uh, both reformed and historically classical his he has a historic classical view of creation and so he's one of i think the few figures that is able to balance 
mm-hmm. uh, uh, Reformation view of redemption with a classically Christian view of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't get hung up in the voluntarism or nominalism that comes later. Actually, what he's trying to do is prevent it from happening. And he wow. was worried that in, in Puritan thought it had already happened. Wow. Um, and, and that's why he wrote. But that's not easy. The laws of ecclesiastical polity. Um, actually, I think Brad Littlejohn has at Davenant Institute has put together um, uh, some some uh, contemporary, he's put them in contemporary English. So those oh. are accessible. And then also at Davenant, uh, they just did a book on um, Tr- Thomas Traherne. Yeah, The Shining yeah. Human Creature. That's that's a that's a good uh, that's a good uh, variation of what I'm doing. It, it's harder to read probably right. than than you know what we're used to in contemporary theological works, but it's good. Yeah. All right, Tom. Any last words that you have? <laughs> um, I I think just uh, I mean I think it's very important to understand when we understand the Christian doctrine of God, creation is gift. The human being is image bearer and how that's oriented to to God in a proper view of creation. It only enhances the biblical vision of redemption rather than turning it basically into some kind of uh, imposition of of a kind of redemption that isn't really redeeming anything. Mm-hmm. We actually see it as the means through which creation is liberated. And this becomes the groundwork for the, the beautiful work the church does, mm. um, the sign character of all reality as it's oriented to God, uh, allows itself to be open to transcendent and transcendence and, and the mm. glory of God and beauty mm. um, permeate the creation in ways unfathomable. Awesome. Mm. My last words have to do with the, the verse, and I think it's Psalm 118, 118, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I know it's in multiple places, but I wrestled with that verse for a long time, just (laughs) trying to, what does that mean? But after this conversation, I have a better idea of what that means. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then you think of of Psalm 19, where it talks about the law of the Lord. Um, uh, The law of the Lord is perfect, um, reviving the soul. You have it. You have it right there, right? The testimony yeah. of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Like that's freedom right there, and that's what we Amen. want. And that's where <laughs> true freedom uh, is found. So that's what I want to encourage uh, our listeners with. That if if you have this this angst or this sense that. Uh, you're not being fulfilled in life, that mm-hmm. um, things just aren't going the way you want, well, wrestle with these things. W- w- seek God's will. Uh, ask to be yoked to Him. Um, realize that you you are a gift from Him. Uh, you're a gift all the way down. And in order to fully appreciate that and find that joy, you need to be uh, submitting to Him, submitting wow. to God and living for Him and orienting your life that way. So and, and not and that's not just lip service either, and that's uh, it's not just bumper sticker faith. It's it's for <laughs> real. You just can't say those things. You just can't go to church on a Sunday and say, "Yeah, this is what I believe in that." But your life is so far from Him. That's that's not where it's at, and that that's not fulfilling. Bumper sticker faith is not fulfilling. It's it's not that joy that we're talking about. So, thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Mike, for joining us, and Dr. Price for joining us. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have you on again. <laughs> yeah.
Definitely. <laughs> um, but this has been a blast uh, for me. Um, and if anyone wants to learn more, go to bumperstickerfaith.com. You can check us out on our Instagram page or Facebook. You can become a BS crew member. And those people are people that support us uh, on, on a monthly basis. You can learn more about that at the website as well. We really appreciate you. And uh, this has been episode 85. And remember, everybody, don't go stepping in no. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, <Mike. laughs> Thanks, Tom. You're welcome.